Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. The show, which began in September of 2019, was formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy, and the library of all of the episodes can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk. They can also be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. The show is now also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. My two courses can be found on my website at www.phyllisamonassociates.com. For those listeners who I, who I say are in SOS mode, stressed, overwhelmed, and stretched, Resilience Toolbox Secrets, which features empathy, a word I've trademarked, teaches self-care, self-kindness, and self-compassion strategies that will help you capture, capture the three R's recharge, reset, and recommit to the challenges that are ahead of you. Family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course, A Caregiving Guide for Caregivers, The Basics. And watch out for my latest endeavor, a five-day challenge teaching families the whys and hows of creating personal playlists for their loved ones living with dementia which will help them have more engaging, dynamic, and enjoyable times together. The challenge is based on a course I developed with Dan Cohen, founder of Music and Memory and Write to Music, titled Coming Alive with Music and Communicating Effectively with Persons Having Dementia. Look out for announcements and information about the challenge event, which I am anticipating beginning on May 10th. My latest book, Dignity and Respect, Are Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook formats. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences. And I'm proud to say that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book. I hope you'll purchase a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. And I am anticipating an audio version of the book in the near future. So I appreciate your support and hope you'll help spread the word on this all important topic. Senior Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Senior Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network will continue bringing our listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And I'm glad to welcome Olive Community Services, a nonprofit organization in Fullerton, California, as a sponsor. Olive Community Services is dedicated to providing culturally appropriate services to the diverse senior population. And before we begin, I have to thank Peter DeGear of DeGear Therapy Services, who is a colleague and consultant specializing in rehabilitation therapy services in nursing homes. And now for my guest today, who was also a guest last week on Senior Straight Talk. 
Joseph Marbido is President and Chief Executive Officer of Paragon Global Resources Incorporated. Mr. Morabito has more than 40 years of real estate and relocation industry experience. As a pioneer and innovator in the field, Mr. Morabito has worked with clients throughout the United States, Europe, and Asia, Asia touching virtually every industry with a delivery of management consulting and relocation services. Joe's journey with his own parents fueled the creation of Paragon Home Services, which works with families and older adults who have to transition from their own homes to different living situations, including assisted living and nursing homes. And I'm so glad that he came back today. We ended our last discussion talking about uh, and touching on older adults who move in with their families, with their older children, and uh, we decided to continue that discussion because that's kind of a whole different, uh, a whole different area. So I'm so glad you're back with me again today, Joe. And uh, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. So uh, as I said, we ended saying that we would continue the discussion talking about older adults who have to move in with their, with their families, with their adult children. And I'm sure you have a wealth of experience in that area as well. Well, we do, because at, at the end of the day, when we're dealing with seniors who are moving from the home that they may have lived in for, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, sometimes longer, uh, then the question is, where are they going? Are they going into a senior community, which sometimes they are if they can afford that, or if they have nursing home insurance or really uh, insurance to cover you know, paying for it? In some cases, if they have a home to sell, they're probably not going to qualify for Medicaid assistance, you know, to pay for senior living, because the presumption is they probably have assets from their home that would be way above what Medicaid would allow. So unless and, unless and until they run out of their own money, you know, they would not be really eligible for Medicaid to pay for senior living or for a nursing home. So then the real question is, where are they going? And you know, what's interesting, Phyllis, the, the a couple of things that we've seen. You said, in essence, mom moving in, and usually it's mom because I always say we're, the men are lucky we die, you know. <laughs> and, and we sometimes, it's, I, I believe me, sometimes it's a blessing because average lifespan for a man in the United States is seventy six, for a woman it's eighty one. Right. But of course, people do live to be ninety and older. My mother was ninety four when she died, and uh, lived the last seven years of her life in a senior community because she did have the money um, from the sale of her California home, the equity was there to cover the expenses, which frankly started at about 4000 when we put her in initially in independent care to 6300 And this is going back several years, so now it would be much more. Right. But it was 6300 by the time she bought, she died. And we had downsized her in the senior community three times. And what I came to realize is that service and assistance was more important than space. So literally by the time she passed away, she was in about a 400 square foot unit, Mm -hmm. uh, which was perfectly fine. It was a a little bedroom or alcove, if you want to call it that, and tiny living room, actually a big bathroom. But in any case, in some instances, mom usually can, um, in a sense, move in usually with one of their children and more often than not, for better or worse, if there are um, female children as opposed to male children, it seems like usually the daughters get the responsibility. Not to say that sons don't participate, they do, 
in some cases, but more often than not, what we've seen is mom is moving in with the daughter, if in fact this is happening. But the other trend that we're seeing is a little bit unusual. I do know of some cases where it's the daughter and husband moving in with mom. Ah. Because mom's got the bigger house in some cases. And um, it's kind of like, well, why should we move mom? She's perfectly comfortable in the living environment that she's in. She has more than a big enough house for us to move in. I know of one case in particular where the daughter and the son-in-law have moved in with dad in this case. He's 95 years old. Wow. He has a full-time caregiver. Now, these people, you know, have a lot of money, a lot of assets, so they can buy whatever services they need. But, you know, he's in a wheelchair. He has a full-time caregiver who lives with them, by the way, who literally takes care of dad, in this case, who's 95. And, and they are there basically to support the caregiver and for a variety of estate planning issues to maintain this very expensive home on the water in Newport Beach. Uh, told another story, but they moved in with dad, not the other way around. And so mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, when we start to see baby boomers and, you know, you've got uh, baby boomers turning 65, 10,000 a day for the next 15 to 20 years, Correct. there are going to be all sorts of living arrangements. And, and what's interesting about it, and I'm following the dynamic in terms of um, homes, Because now, as developers are building homes to sell new homes, they're building them with mother-in-law's suites. They're building them with home offices. They're anticipating these lifestyle changes that are coming. And in many instances, you know, the, the, the baby boomer, who's now 75 years old or whatever, is going to move in with usually the daughter, but it could be with the son. And um, I I really think we're going to see more of it for a couple of reasons. COVID has caused a lot of fear in folks going into senior communities and nursing homes. In fact, Mm -hmm. the, the industry in the last year, the senior community industry, and I assume the nursing home industry too, has lost about $15 billion because families actually pulled, and usually it's mom, in nine out of 10 cases, it's mom, pulled their mothers out of these collective uh, living environments because of fear. Well, I would say that the nursing home industry, the latest statistic I saw, and it might have changed as of now, is down by about 25% occupancy. Yeah, I was just in a facility last week, an entire floor is closed. Right. And so, and, and you know, I, I have said, uh, and this isn't just related to the senior environment or elder care, COVID has changed everything. Mm-hmm. And there, there are trends that were happening anyway that now have accelerated dramatically. And the ripple effect throughout the economy is huge. People were working from home before. But now I know when we had to shut down our offices and I had all of my people in Dallas you know, in the office, where they had to work from home. Unfortunately, we had bought technology about three years ago that really they could work from anywhere. And so, as thing, and so we 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 got rid of the office. I had sixteen thousand square feet in Dallas, which is a big office. And finally, it was like I'm paying rent. I'm paying a lot of rent, you know, every month. And I said, well, this is ridiculous. And I sent an email to my staff, and I said, you know, given the choice. When things open back up again, would you prefer to work from home or do you want to come back into an office? And they all said, no, we like working from home. I said, well, you just saved me a lot of money because as long as the services are good 
and you can deliver on the results for our customers and clients. I'm happy if you're happy. And then they create, their management creates connectivity. So that trend was happening anyway. The, right. question, the question for seniors in elder care is when, when, when families pulled their loved ones out of these facilities, are they going to put them back in? Or are they going to make some accommodation in their own homes to provide home care, which they can buy home care. You know, my, my mafia princess aunt, she's got two shifts of home care that come in every day. So she's got somebody helping her. She's 99 years old, uh, 10 hours a day. And there was never in her case, a consideration of putting her into a senior community or nursing home or any of it. You, you know, I consulted uh, with a gentleman um about a year, maybe it's about a year ago, he, uh, he lives at home with, I think only the daughter lives in that home. So I guess yeah. he lives with her. He has a trach. He was a vent patient. So he has a tracheostomy too. Right. And he has a full-time nurse 24 hours a day uh, that he has to have a nurse on uh, there with him. And the mother has uh, some kind of dementia. I don't know if it's Alzheimer's, but she clearly has memory issues and she has a separate caregiver that's yeah. there for her. Yeah. And well, it's a small and it's a small house, by the way. This is the, a very small home. But yeah. for them, uh, this was before COVID, their experience was they preferred not to have their father in a nursing home based on some experiences they had. And so I'm sure there are people who once they transition their their parent or loved one out of that environment, Right. If they can make it work, in all yeah. likelihood they will. Well, they're, they're, I hate to say this because it sounds crass. There, there's no problem money can't solve. Right. And for people who have the money to buy private care, whether it's home care, whether it's home health care, whatever it might be, they can have someone come into the home and provide the same levels of care that, you know, might have been provided, maybe even better care than might have been provided in an institutional environment. But again, it's, it's, it takes a lot of money. It's, it's very costly. And, um, you know, it, it just depends on what the economic circumstances are of the family. I know, and, you know, you know better than I do, that Medicare only pays for so much and so long. And unless you qualify for Medicaid, which is possible in some of these cases, but I don't know. I mean, even in a Medicaid situation, you have to wonder when the government might say, well, that's not the best economic solution that we're willing to pay for. Right. And therefore, you have to go into a nursing home because the home care remedy, if that's what it is, is so expensive that I assume at some point Medicaid would say, well, we're not going to pay for that. I don't know. What's your experience? Uh, well, they are developing this money follows the person program. So it depends on the level of care that the person needs. However, no. I don't know what this family's financial situation is, who's paying for that round the clock nurse. But I will tell you that several years ago, my specialty is working with people who are ventilator dependent and who have trachs. And I was working on a ventilator unit in a nursing home. And there was a young fellow. He had been a victim of a gunshot wound and he was paralyzed from the neck down. And he was yeah. ventilator dependent and would be for the rest of his life. And he went home. So there are those circumstances where that can happen. I think there's going to be more of a move towards that, depending right. on what the level of care need is and 
Well, I, I, I think, you know, there's really a couple of dimensions to all of this. I mean, there's the ability to buy various levels of home care, home health aids, registered right. nurses to do plug-in kinds of things in terms of medical you know, medicines and different things where you have to plug in and you have a pick line in and that sort of thing. Right. We experienced that with my father because he had, um, he used to have to have antibiotics and he had a pick line, but right. you know, it was so funny because my mother was 75 years old while all this was going on. And she of course was his caregiver, so to speak, when he was home, not in a convalescent home or somewhere. And it got to the point where he had to have these antibiotics four times a day. Right. And they wanted my mother to do this. And I, of course, was the attack brother. And I said, no, because uh, the reality is that under the law, a registered nurse is supposed Correct. to do this. And, and you want my 75-year-old mother. And I just said to, at the time, I think, whether I was dealing with Medicare or Kaiser, whoever was covering it, I said, no, my mother's not doing this. I'm sorry. She's not a registered nurse. And she's scared to death to have to have this responsibility. And they sent someone in four times a day for right. weeks. Right. You know, I will. I did read somewhere, and I think it was just the other day that I read it, but it was a New York Times article that was at the beginning of April, if I remember correctly, that there is some movement towards having Medicare pay for some home services. Uh, I believe yeah. they, they are looking at that model. And they were even in the past administration. I think they're looking at that. Well, did you know, and, and I discovered this at a conference that we went to, I forget where, which one it was, but anyway, I think it's the state of Oregon, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it's Washington. It wasn't California, but it was one of these other states. They had 20,000 people on the state payroll that were providing various types of home care services for presumably Medicaid um, patients, but they were actually employees of the state. And, and I found it intriguing, and I'm, I'm almost sure it was either Oregon or Washington, because you know they're fairly liberal states, that had this business model, if you want to call it that, and these people, and they were unionized, they were SIEU employees, mm -hmm. interestingly enough. So they were union employees working for the state of Oregon. I'm pretty sure it was Oregon. Maybe it was Washington, where <clears throat> rather than um, the government paying for home care under Medicaid, and I don't know how much, what part of it the states pay for as opposed to the feds. But, you know, in California, they have Medi-Cal, I think it's Correct. called Instead of Medicaid, they don't call it Medicaid, they call it Medi-Cal. Right. But anyway, and so rather than them buying home care through various home care companies, the state was actually providing their employees doing home care, interestingly enough, and various levels of home care that Medicaid patients would have qualified for if, in fact, they didn't have means. So, you know, I, I think there's going to be different business models that, you know, have to evolve given this baby boomer, you know, rush to old age, all of us that are baby boomers. And the question is, you know, you're going to have people who have money to buy private care who could stay in their home. In fact, you know, my wife and I have had this discussion many times and we've said, well, gee, if we either of us ever gets to the point where, um, you know, we need care, then maybe we would just have home care. We wouldn't necessarily go into a senior community or whatever. And look, at the end of the day, I look at it this way. Um, my sons and their families uh, are perfectly capable of supporting themselves and, um, you know, are smart and all of that. And 
when we die, my father used to say, my father was so funny. My father used to say, when I die, you get everything. And I used to say, but you don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> now he had their home and, you know, and that right. was a nice asset that paid for my mother to be in assisted living for seven years. But he used to make me laugh. I'd say, dad, you know, I mean, God bless you. You have your home. I get it. But mother's probably going to need that eventually because you're probably going to die first. He was five years older. And that's a whole nother story, by the way. When my father retired, he worked for the school system in California. And I think I was 16 years old and I took him to sign his retirement papers in LA city schools. And there were two options. And by the way, the law now requires the wife, the spouse has to sign. There were two options. There was A and there was B. Okay. A was if he checked A, he would get 100% of his pension until he died. If he checked B, he would get 80% of his pension. And if he died, my mother would then get 50%. Okay. So he was going to check A. Now, remember, I'm 16 years old. I remember right. I told you we reversed roles. Right, right. He was going to check A, right? I said to him, let me read. Let me see what you're doing here. Yeah, I took it right out of his hands. I said, uh, you're checking B. He said, no, I'm not. I'm going to check A because if I check B, I'm only going to get 80% of my pension. I said, Dad, can we get real here? You're five years older than mother. You smoke two packs of cigarettes your right. whole life. You have diabetes. You have anemia. You have the good leukemia you can live with. And what makes you think right, right, <laughs> that you right. are going to outlive mother? And I told him, I said, if you check A, you're walking home, bucko, because I'm not driving you home. <laughs> well, that, you know, so this brings up a it's whole It's a good other... thing I was there because he would have checked A. I know right. he would have. So this brings up a whole other conversation and, and, um, you know, we'll go to break in a minute. And, and when we come back, I really want to go into that conversation more about some of the issues that come up when uh, adult, older adults have to either move in with their, um, with their children, um, maybe some of the issues that come up in, as a, in terms of moving in with one person as opposed to another person, right. uh, how one person feels they may feel, which is not only when somebody moves in with them, sometimes also when they live near a person or, and their parent is in a nursing home or assisted living, or one person feels they're more responsible for the care, but this becomes very bur can become burdensome and create a lot of family tensions when a person moves into one place as opposed to another. I mean, it brings up, we, we had a discussion before we started this about root causes of family disagreements. And very yeah. often it has nothing to do with the situation at hand. There are longstanding issues that have very deep roots, but these kinds of situations can kind of, you know, it's when you dust up the, um, when the dirt dusts up and you see what's underneath it. Uh, these kinds of issues can really bring that up. And I kind of want to address that and see some of the experiences that you have had. And yep. maybe you can give our listeners you know, some ideas about that. So we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk and we'll be right back with Joe Morabito. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. 
Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. All of Community Services is a 501c3 that provides culturally appropriate services to seniors, their family, and the community. Through their interactive programs, Olive engages participants physically and mentally with a focus on building strength, mobility, and mental health. To learn more, get involved, or make a donation, visit olivecs.org. Together, let's live, learn, and thrive. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at SeniorStraightTalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with Joe Morabito. We're having a phenomenal conversation about uh, relocation, home services, older adults, our aging parents. And we left off and I was saying that uh, we should really look in more depth into this conversation about what happens when older adults have to move in with their, their adult children. And you know, I touched on the fact sometimes there are resentments, animosities, it dredges up family issues that are longstanding. So what is Paragon experienced in this space? Do you have any well, we're, examples? We're, we're, we're seeing, you know, we, we deal with, for better or worse, cradle to grave in terms of first-time home buyers, right-sized home buyers, seniors moving to retire, seniors moving into senior living, or some other accommodation, which is what we're talking about. And then even estate planning where finally mom dies. And it's usually mom, ultimately, that passes away. Dad's long gone. Um, mom dies, so now the family has a home that they have to deal with if she didn't already move into a nursing home or senior community. So we got it all. We're across the board. And because of that, we're also seeing these other arrangements because if we're dealing with a senior, let's say, who's moving to retire, maybe they're moving from a cold place to a warm place, and mom is still alive back in the cold place. And so the question is, do they leave mom behind or do they take, and I've had several of these conversations, do they take mom with them to the warm place? Now, whether mom's moving in with them or moving into a senior community nearby, the thought of leaving mom behind, that's not going to work. And so many of these families, as they consider their own relocation, you know, um, life decisions, and that's what they are, family is figuring mom is coming into this one way or the other. And it's usually mom and it's usually the daughter that, you know, is dealing with it. We have some good friends in Reno and this is an interesting situation. So mom lives with them and mom is in her nineties. The husband is about 80. The wife is probably late sixties, right? Maybe he, it was a second marriage for him, maybe a first marriage for her. I don't know, but she's, she's quite a bit younger than the husband, right? So you, you, you always hear about the sandwich generation. And you think about kids on one side and parents on the other. 
Well, this is the sandwich generation in a sense, because the wife is caring for mom, who's had some health issues, and caring for her husband, who's had some health issues. And so she's now the primary caregiver for two people who have health issues. Mom, who's 90 or 92, and her husband, who I think is 79, who's had, you know, different surgeries, and he just had a a back implant on some kind of a thing to stimulate his spine so he could walk better. I don't know what the story was. But there are times when she's just exhausted, and you can understand why. So in their situation, what sometimes happens is there's another sister who lives in Florida, and sometimes mom, during winter in Reno when it's cold, she'll get on an airplane or they'll put her on an airplane and she'll go to Florida and spend a month or more with the other sister. So that creates a little bit, not only of getting her out of the cold because it's cold in Reno in January and February, but also creates a little bit of relief in essence from a caregiving perspective in terms of sharing, I won't say burden because I don't want it to sound that way, but it is in a sense. And particularly when you've got a husband that's got issues and you've got mom living with you that's got issues. And so I just think, especially, you know, when I look at baby boomers, again, 10,000 a day turning 65, and what the implications of that are going to be over the next, right. you know, and, and, you know, I, I look at it too. And I always say to people, look, especially, you're, you know, usually it's mom, dad's gone. There really needs to be family somewhere nearby. I, I just... I know all the things that we've had to do, you know, in, in supporting my parents um, really for a long, long time. My mother outlived my father by 17 years and she was independent living. But the last seven years she was in a senior community. My mother never wanted to be a burden to us. She would say that to me all the time. Mm-hmm. She didn't. She could have moved in with us. We had the room. Certainly. Right. She said, absolutely not. I don't want to be a burden. And, you know, she had the money to pay for it. And I said, well, mom, it's up to you. If you want to move in with us, you can. But no, she didn't want that. But but the real issue, I think, and this is, again, you, you've got financial issues, but you've also got physical space issues. Right. So people that live in a two-story home, mom can't be upstairs. Well, correct. So it's interesting that you say that. And, and we did talk about in the, in the first segment about uh, homes that are being built and um, and that there are more people that actually real estate developers, uh, as they're thinking about this, uh, building more homes with mother-in-law suites or yes. I think even realtors, I've spoken to realtors about questions to ask as they're showing people homes. Right. What's your situation? Do you have a parent that lives nearby? Do you anticipate having a parent who may be moving in with you? And sometimes people don't think that that far down the road, but these are questions to open up for conversation purposes. But um, Well, you know, it's interesting. My, my mother's last youngest sister, who's now 90, the last one remaining, right? About, oh, 10 or 15 years ago, maybe 15 years ago now, they built a two-bedroom, for lack of a better word, and one-bathroom cottage, if you want to call it that, connected to their daughter's home. And my cousin, who's five years younger than me, so she's 65 now, but the one mistake they made, this was interesting. So they built this apartment, if you want to call it that. But I mean, it was a single family home that they added on to. They sold their home and they literally built a two bedroom place, okay, right next to, connected to 
the daughter's home. The problem is, <laughs> so it connects at the garage, and there are five or six steps going up and down, huh. down from theirs and up to the house. They can't do those steps. Right. And they could they could in the beginning, but they can't now. Right. And people have to really uh, consider that. There is something called, and uh, I mentioned Dr. Bill Thomas, who wrote the foreword to my book. He's involved in something called Minka Homes, where these they kind of are like pods. And yeah. they can be built on a the property of, let's say, your loved one or whomever's, you know, property of the home, and they're self-contained. Right. But, what about people who don't have that kind of property or don't have that kind of home? And you and I were talking during the break about the fact that in California, now wherever there's a free land, they're, the, they're requiring that they build condos or apartment buildings. And right. where my mind went with that was, well, what about if, if these are smaller type units, how is mom or dad, you know, your parents who needs care, Right. Going to move in with you. There's not enough room now. And well, I, well, I don't remember, know if anybody's thinking about that. Well, it's interesting. There are four, we're, we're four million housing units short in the United States today, today to meet buyer demand. And that's the reason, of course, prices are going through the roof. In California, from what I understand, there is legislation on the table that literally will prohibit cities from... Um, uh, zoning any land for single-family homes. Anything that is built, and I think it will, because there's such a demand for particularly lower-income uh, housing, if that law passes, then there'll have to be apartment buildings and or condos so that ultimately they're making the best use. And I know in one case, some friends of ours own a shopping center that's more than 50 years old in Laguna Niguel, which is really close to the beach, very, very expensive area, big homes, you can imagine it's, it's a, the shopping center is two miles to the ocean mm -hmm. uh, in California. Okay. And the city has determined that uh, they do not want them to renovate that shopping center. They want that shopping center torn down and they want five or 600 units built on that shopping center on, mm -hmm. on that land. The land value is about $25 million alone without anything on it. And so there's a saying in real estate, and it's really true that real estate always goes to its highest and best use. It doesn't matter what you want or what you think or, you know, how you want it to be. At the end of the day, this is, this is simply, you know, dollar signs in terms of where is it going to go in, in a capitalist society, which, of course, we really don't. We have, I don't know, I wouldn't say we have capitalism. We have state-run capitalism. But this is one of those cases in California, a very liberal state, where if this happens, there will be no new single family homes. Now, keep in mind, a lot of times when they do these things, they don't think of the implications. Right. Fine. So there's no new single family homes. The houses in California are already extremely expensive. Right. This will make single family living so expensive in California because if you don't have anything new being built, then everything old being built you know, is going to go through the roof. It is anyway. I mean, the prices are outrageous. And the other thing that'll end up happening, the other game that's played is, okay, so now you can't build a single family home. Okay, fine. In some areas where you have teardowns taking place to build a new dwelling on that property. Well, if they prohibit that, 
like in Laguna Beach, they have this rule. You keep one wall so that you're not building new. You're just adding on to old. There's always, there's always a way around. It's a loophole. There's, always there's, a, gim- there's a gimmick. Okay. Oh, now, you know, we, we had talked about my idea of using the old enclosed shopping malls that are now 50 years old and tearing down the anchor stores and literally u- using the body of the shopping mall for grocery stores, for beauty shops, for nail salons, for child care, for urgent care, everything that people would need. And on one end, you have uh, first-time home buyers, millennials, or whatever they are. At the other end, you have your seniors and 55 or older. And these could be apartments and or condos, could be a combination of both. And you can even glob on more. Usually, right. shopping centers may have six anchor stores. There's no reason why there couldn't be 10 apartment buildings or more connected to what would be the body of that mall. And usually, many of these shopping malls that were built 50 or more years ago uh, they're usually in pretty nice areas. They're in good areas in a lot of cases because they built them in good areas. Right. I think this is going to be a solution in repurposing those shopping malls because they're not building enclosed malls anymore. They're building outdoor kind of, we have it here in Arizona. We have it in Reno where I live. They have them in Dallas. They're not building the enclosed malls anymore because they don't want to heat and air condition the, the interior space. Of course, it depends in, in the northern states or where I am in the northeast. Actually, yeah. just a couple of years ago, before COVID, just I think maybe about six or eight months before COVID, they had been working on the shopping center for several years, nobody understands it, but they must have done their market research. And mm-hmm. they have two huge anchor stores, Bloomingdale's, Bloomingdale's and Nordstrom. And nobody really gets it, but they, like I said, they must have done their market research and mm-hmm. determined that this was going to be profitable. Otherwise, they would not have done it. But, but, you, notice, but you notice there's no Macy's. Right, right. And there's no JCPenney's. Right. It's a high, obviously it's a higher end. It's very high. high end. And I'm, I assume the stores, is it an enclosed mall? It is an enclosed mall. Okay. I assume the stores in between are all very high end stores. Or pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much high end stores. Yeah. So they're, they're targeting a, a specific demographic that they think is going to be successful. But you know, in Chicago, one of the highest grossing malls is the Oak Brook Mall. And it is not an enclosed mall. Because what and that's been there for years. And what they find in Chicago is if they don't have snow by Thanksgiving, they don't have a good Christmas. That's true, by the way, in the Northeast, too. You have to have snow by Thanksgiving for it because there's something about snow that motivates people buying a lot for Christmas. I don't know why. Uh, I I agree. There is a mall here. It's a um, what do you call it? Like a discount kind of um, it's called Woodbury Outlet Mall. Outlet Mall. Outlet Mall. I couldn't think of the name. Thank you. And they open up, I believe it's Thanksgiving. They open up at midnight or something. The, the, it's a And it's all outdoor. Yeah. And the the, uh, the wait line for cars. Yeah, like of course. Miles long to get in. And it's packed during uh, the winter time because, you know, it's a, it's an outlet mall. So Well, that, that, that concept... You know, I'm, we're in Phoenix this week, so they have Curlin Commons. That's one of those. Right. It's not. It's not an outlet mall, but it's everything outdoors. It's like it's like 
the old towns used to be when Main Street mattered, you know. They have Santan Village close to us, same thing, all outdoors, restaurants and everything. Now here, of course, it's hot as heck in summer. So, you know, you'd think, oh, gee, these places aren't air conditioned. It's 110 degrees or whatever. It doesn't stop anybody. It's no different than when it's 30 below zero. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stop people from shopping. And so the new concept now, people like to be able to drive right up to the store they're going to or park very close to it. They don't want to walk six miles through an enclosed mall to get to the store they want to go to. (laughs) So, you know, things are changing. But I really believe, you know, when and again, I get back to this baby boomer. I think, what is it, 15 to 20 million people that are that are turning 65 in the next 20 years or 18, 20 years. Things are going to be very different, I think, for the baby boomer generation. And, and you know, I know what I discovered with my mother, that safety and security was more important than space. Right. At some, at some point, you want to be in a secure environment that has lots of amenities close by. Right. So that you're not driving 20 miles. You know, Scottsdale, Arizona, if you're familiar with Scottsdale, which is a beautiful, beautiful area. Everybody, it's the Beverly Hills of of Phoenix. Gorgeous, right? Scottsdale is 20 miles long. I think it has 10 or 12 or 15 off-ramps on the freeway. It's 20 miles long by five miles across, maybe even more than that. It is a huge landmass. And so it can take an hour to go in traffic from the bottom of Scottsdale to the top of Scottsdale. Right. And so while a lot of people love Scottsdale because there's beautiful homes and, you know, it's a really great area. To me, I want everything to be within five miles of where I live. I don't want to drive more than five miles. I want convenience today at my age. I don't want to be driving, you know, an hour to get to the doctor or an hour to get to, you know, the Costco or because, you know, my wife is Trader Joe's and Costco. That's where we, you know, I got to have a trip. When I look at my lifestyle, we got to have a Trader Joe's nearby and a Costco nearby. Everything else, you know, you need the hospital, you need medical. Medical, by the way, is very important. And so, you know, but I look at it and you know, I, I'm really into convenience. And I think, I think as we see this baby boomer generation and, you know, with, with the price of gas or electricity or whatever the heck it's going to be, you know, in terms of, of, of driving and cars and all this stuff. And who knows, you know, the other interesting trend where um, people after World War One, World War Two, in the 50s, most families had one car. Correct. And then we went to two cars. Right. And then every kid had to have a car. Correct. And so we went from one car, and I saw it, you know, even in my own family. My, my parents never had more than one car. Now, my mother didn't drive, but nevertheless, they never had more than one car. Well, by the time I was finished, we had five cars. Right, right. And I, I think we may see a trend where we get back to one car for baby boomer families because the reality is – my wife and I, you know, we can live with one. We, we have more than one car, but we could probably live with one car today because I work from home. Right. I can juggle my schedule. She can juggle her schedule. There's nothing so imperative that it has to happen at that precise moment. And usually if it does, we're going together. So interesting that you say that because I think it could be that COVID is going to inspire that kind of change because people aren't going to be going to the office they're not necessarily going to have to drive to the train station to get on the train to right. go anywhere or carpool to some other place to get on the train to go someplace. So it, it may just be that that will help 
reduce the number of cars on the road, which I don't know if anybody's really thinking about this in terms of the big picture, the domino effect. I actually, you know, when this all started with COVID, I remember saying, and when they shut everything down, I remember saying, I don't think people, I don't think they're really looking at the domino effect of how this is going to really impact people long-term. For instance, I think we talked about this last time also. If people aren't going to the office, they don't have to bring their shirts to the cleaners. Right, and that's exactly what the dry cleaner told me when I said, how's business? And he said, what business? Who needs dry cleaning when nobody's going anywhere? They're, they're, They're working at home in their sweats. Well, what business? I haven't had any business in a year. Right. Now, interestingly enough, my friend who happens to work at this mall where their Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's are two anchor stores, she says the store is packed. She works at Nordstrom. I said, well, where are they going? What are they buying and where are they going? She said, I have no idea. Maybe they're just doing it because it's habit or because they need something to do. I said, because nobody's going anywhere. Although I believe in Connecticut, they're going to open things back up. Like yeah. Well, Arizona, where we are this week, is opened up. Texas, where my son lives, is pretty opened up. Florida, of course, is pretty opened up. California, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know what the hell they're doing. Every day, there's a new story in California. The schools, the schools, most my our grandchildren go to private schools, so they've been open all along. But the public schools, I mean, we've lost a whole year of instruction. Oh, absolutely. Particularly minority kids. Only 50% of minority kids, um, you know, tied into online learning. And those kids who need it most have lost a whole year of instruction. It's crazy. Absolutely. So just getting back to that discussion, when you say about building apartment buildings and all these baby boomers, if people don't want to move into assisted living or they don't have the finances for that or don't want to move into nursing homes and, and the adult children are living in these smaller spaces, How is this going to be able to accommodate an older parent moving in with them? I I don't think they're thinking about that part of the the equation. Well, they'd have to have a three-bedroom apartment, most likely, because there's going to be a bedroom for mom. Again, it's usually mom. There might be a a guest bedroom that's also a home office. And then there's the master, which, by the way, it's not called master anymore because that's a sexist term. It's now called primary. You know, we have to have new words for everything. So now what used to be the master bedroom, they're now calling in new home developments, it's the primary bedroom. Well, well, you know something, I I mean – (laughs) <laughs> Off the top of my head, it sounded ridiculous. But now that I think about it, I know where the term came from. So I understand it. But yes. just off the top of my head, I my first reaction was like, really? But if you think about it, it's yeah. the same thing that I say about the word old when we say, how old are you from the time we're young? And it's cute when you're two and now you're four years old and 11 right. and 12 years old. Okay. But when you get to be 60 years old and 70 years old, that word is constantly being reinforced and that concept of old. So in this, in the same vein, I yeah. understand it in terms of master bedroom. You know, my, my 79 year old cousin, one, one thing the Morbidos have, and she's on one side of Morbido, we don't wrinkle. Okay, we, I think it's the olive oil. My grandmother used to use olive oil for everything, right? We just don't wrinkle. Okay, so she's got her skin, honest, all of the Morbidos, they just have incredible skin, you know? So I always tell, she loves to tell people that she's 80 or 79 or whatever. And I tell her, whenever age comes up, 
She doesn't look anywhere near that. Whenever age comes up, you should just say, how old do you think I am? Right. And when they say 65, she should just say, yeah, that's about right. Right. I but she, she, she wears it as a badge of honor. She loves to tell people that, you know, that she, that she's 79 or 80 years old because she looks so good. And it's like, and they say, I don't believe it. You can't be that old, you right. know? And I, and I tell her, you don't have to admit to how old you are. Just tell them, what do you think I am? And say, yeah, that's about right. But I'm kind of with her because I'm 68 and I'm very proud of my age. And yeah. when people ask me and I tell them, they say, oh, now I think I'm starting to look that age, but it depends on what your reference point is. Right. And so, um, because I also have a, an idea about that. If we think that people don't, quote unquote, look their age, it's the same concept about ageism in a way. What is an older person supposed to look like? So we have this image that they're supposed to be frail and wrinkled and and uh, look in this kind of way, maybe hunched over. And so when we see somebody that isn't that, it's kind of counterintuitive. Well, you know, it's funny. My mom, God bless her. You know, she never dyed her hair her whole life, and she had black, black hair. Oh, God bless her. And, and the and very thick and everything. And the last five years, it started to get a little bit salt and pepper, you know. And and she would say, "God, I'm really proud of the gray hairs I have. Think of the wisdom that's come with that." <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I forgot who I spoke with. It was from um, what country was he from? I forgot. Oh, my gosh, I forgot what country he was from. And um, he was saying that uh, older people are, are scorned in his country. However, I loved his metaphor or his analogy. Years ago, what did magistrates do? They put on these gray wigs, right? And yeah, that yeah. was a sign of wisdom, of experience, yeah. of respect. So if we could transfer that, to how we see people with gray hair, I think that would be fantastic. Well, you know, the Asians tend to have the respect for the elders much more than we have in the West. And so, you know, there's, there's a reverence. Well, it's almost like, um, almost like a deity worship, you know, when, when mom or dad dies, you know, they're almost treated like a deity. And I know in, I always just chuckle in um, China, they have Ching Ming Day, and it's a day off from work where mm -hmm. you're supposed to go and, and clean off the graves. Right. And so that was the day that you respect your ancestors, and you would go to the graveyard or whatever. And, and, you know, I don't know whether they did cremation or whatever, but you would clean off the graves. And Ching Ming Day is a national holiday in China. It's amazing. Right. And the, the Japanese are the same, by the way. Right. You're supposed to respect your elders and your ancestors. It's, yeah. it's part of that whole line. But once again, this has been a fantastic conversation. I love talking with you. And I think you have great insights. And we have so much to talk about in this space. So maybe we'll have to do it again. Well, we will do it again because I enjoy it. It's fun for me. Me too. Yeah. So thanks again, Joe. And um Thanks for all the listeners for tuning in today on Senior Straight Talk for enlightening conversations for the senior years of our lives. And please join us next time or me and my guests for the next episode of Senior Straight Talk. And until then, this is Phyllis Amon signing off. Please remember to like, click and share the episodes and stay safe, stay well and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
or your favorite podcast platforms. 